Welcome to the Perfect First Layer Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast where we answer questions from you, the 3D printing community. My name is Guy Dunlap from Guy Shop, and with me today are my co-hosts, JJ and Nathan. Say hello, guys. Hello. Hello. <laughs> and we do depend on your questions for this podcast, so if you have one for our panel, please go to perfectfirstlayer.com and go to the submit page to send it. So what do you guys got going on in your labs right now? Nathan, why don't you... Give us an idea. Well, I just broke a couple of my 3D printers, so I'm trying to fix them. <laughs> um, and next week I should be getting a Ender. Th- and next week I should be getting an Ender 5S1 in for review. And I know you've got one, guy. So yeah, it'll be exciting to try that out. I'm not sure if Creality watches my videos because I'm usually pretty hard on them, but <laughs> they're going to send me over one to try out. Yeah, that you're you're uh, you're not well. It's not that you're not kind. You're just brutally honest. You, yeah, you hold no punches. I really it. like it. So, what about you, JJ? Um, a bunch of different testing and tuning around here. My next big project is going to be turning one of my uh, large format printers. I want to make it even larger, so I'm going to be extending the bed on it to make it like 500 millimeters long for a wow. big project. So, it's gonna we'll see heavy. if I can get that working. <laughs> Which printer are you going to do that to? Uh, I have one of the WeDo. I have an IDEX one from them and a single extruder one from them. So I'm still deciding which one because they're very similar. Mm-hmm. I'm deciding which one's better off worth upgrading. That's a. It's going to be a pretty darn big bed and it's going to weigh a ton. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> are you going to have to upgrade the, the, the motor for it? I don't think so. I'm hoping I can just make it a little longer and run it nice and slow. For a big right. project, yeah. Fair enough. So this is our second regular show, and without any further comments, let's just get right into it. You ready, guys? Let's go. Let's go. So today we're going to talk about slicers, and this could be a pretty deep dive. It could be just skimming the surface. It really depends on how far we go with it. So my question is, is you know, what slicers do you guys use? What What about you, JJ? So I use Cura. Uh, it's when I started on and I kind of st- stuck with it and never really changed. What, what do you like about it that you're saying? I'm not going to even entertain the idea of another slicer. I feel like it consistently works. And with every new printer I try, they, they usually come bundled with Cura. So it's mm-hmm. the most open source attached to most printers out there. And they keep updating it and putting new features in there. And so there's not been a feature that I'm lacking in Cura, which has made me just kind of stick with it and enjoy it. Yeah. yeah. And one of the nice things about it, like you said, it does come with most printers and they all, they have a a profile for it already. So Mm -hmm. I've got like three different versions of Cura on my computer. There's this, (laughs) there's this Cura, that Cura. What what about you, Nathan? So I started out using Slick 3R way back in the day Mm -hmm. and that was annoying to use. I'm glad we've kind of evolved past that but i think most of the slicers today are based off of the code from that original slicer way back when Um, but nowadays i use brusa slicer for most of my 3d printer needs what i like about it is it's really fast and responsive when you click and drag the model around it's like moving it around in real time and there's no lagginess and when i need to change a setting once you get to know the menu system, it's only a couple clicks away to each setting that you need to change. 
It's also yeah. got a pretty simple interface and um, I don't end up getting lost in the menus very often. Unlike I have had, uh, unlike with Cura, sometimes I get lost because there's this gigantic list of all these different settings to change and it's, it can be hard to find what I'm, I'm working on. Yeah. But that's, that being said, um, Cura Slicer is really nice and I'm planning on trying it out soon just to get access to those more advanced features and see if they've improved any of the lagginess and stuff that I had issues with in the past. Yeah. I use a uh, super slicer, which is really, really similar to Prusa slicer, but it's got a few more features on it. Um, it's got X and Y compensation that you can put in there, which I don't think you can do on Prusa slicer. Can you do that on, on that, Nathan? Do you know what? What does that mean, X and Y compensation? So if you print like a, a calibration cube and you put the calipers to it and it's your X is hmm. 20.3 millimeters, you can compensate for that inside the slicer. Hmm. I haven't heard of that, but uh, yeah. that does sound useful. I guess the equivalent in Prusa slicer would be to just scale the model by a certain amount, yeah. but that would be annoying to do on every single model that you print. Sure. Sure. Uh, I've used Cura too. I use both kind of, but I, I mostly use the Super Slicer. So JJ, have you tried using Prusa Slicer? I tried Prusa Slicer once. I downloaded it and I was trying to set it up, but it was so many, if I remember it correctly, there's a bunch of different like tabs to go between mm -hmm. different settings and stuff versus in Cura, it's in one big list with drop down tabs with a search feature at the top. So if I want to change coast settings, I can just go to that search bar and type in coast and it pulls up every setting related to coasting that you can adjust and change. Yeah. I think one of the issues with getting started with Cura is that if you don't know what the setting is called, it can be hard to find it. So like if you're looking for a specific thing and it's like, ah, oh, what is it? Versus in Prusa Slicer, they kind of combine... Um, the parameters that you can change into logical groups where it's like, okay, I need to change what my support settings are. Then all of the settings are on one page. So you don't have to scroll around and read words and stuff. Yeah. I think on most of the advanced yeah. settings in Cura, you have to search for it and then you have to hit like a, a check mark to include it in your menus in the future. Otherwise it's hidden from view. Is mm -hmm. that correct? Yes. Yeah. And you can, okay. you can filter all your settings by um, like basic, advanced, expert, or all. And so when I first started on there, it was with basic. And then once you start needing more settings, then you can unlock which ones are shown to you. So you, you had mentioned, JJ, that they do a lot of updates to Cura. What, what in the last year or so have they done that's really changed the face of Cura? So they updated to Cura 5.0, which was a pretty big change. They used the new Arachne slicer, so you can do variable line width. It just does a bunch of smart things there. Um, 5.0 is also a lot of optimizations. So now when starting it up, it's way faster than it used to be. On the older versions, you would turn, click on it, and it would take... 30 seconds to a minute before it opens up yeah, every single so, time. That's so good. Yeah. So yeah. Good. It was so slow on a fast computer. It felt so slow. Um, what, 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 Nathan, what have they done with Cura or not Cura, but Prusa slicer in the last year that you think is a major development? 
So in terms of features, Prusa Slicer tends to roll into their own code the stuff that um, Kira does. So if Kira comes out with Arachne or Arachne uh, slicing, Prusa Slicer quickly pulled that into their own code and updated that because they figured that was a good feature. And they've done the same with a couple other features too, but Kira tends to be more on the cutting edge of things and coming out with the, the best new features. There's a couple things in Prusa Slicer that I haven't been able to do in Kira though. And um, one of those is manipulating the model after you've imported it into the slicer. So with Prusa Slicer, there's this really convenient feature where you can cut your model. So you like, um, say, five millimeters up, you want to cut the model and get rid of everything below that. You can do those kind of easy modifications in Prusa Slicer. And I've, ha I've found that to be really useful sometimes because when I'm prototyping a part, if I just need to get rid of a bottom part to do a test fit and make something a little bit shorter without affecting all of the other dimensions of the part that you would do if you scaled it, that, that can save me some CAD time. And mm -hmm. another feature that I really like is being able to paint on the supports. I'm not sure if Kira is now supporting that feature, but being no. able to draw a line where you want your supports to go and where you want your Z seam to go and that kind of stuff. It's, they seem like kind of complex features to implement, but they've done a pretty good job with it in Prusa Slicer. Does Cura have the paint on supports, JJ? No, it has uh, none of those features you just mentioned, uh, which sound great, uh, the being able to slice it instead of, I always have to do it in Blender, take it over there to put planes and cut uh, and import again. Uh, yeah, with uh, on on Prusa Slicer and Super Slicer, they call it like, things like print blocker or something like that, where it's just a shape and you put it in there. Is that correct, Nathan? Yeah, you have some. You can add primitives into your parts. So let's say you want to just add a cylindrical object into yeah. your model. Let's mm -hmm. say an area isn't printing right, and you just want to fill it in with a solid um, print material. You can add like squares and cubes and uh, and cylinders into the part to modify it. That way you're having to do, um, that can really save you some time because you're not having to go back into your primary CAD modeling software to make small changes. Yeah, and you also mentioned the, the paint on supports. That's something I really like because I've always had a problem with supports, not using them, but I just despise them because <laughs> they, they scar the hell out of your whatever you're printing. And with the paint on supports and you can, you know, lower, I think I put like a two millimeter difference between the, the support and the model. And I, think, I can't remember what the setting's called anyways, but I can just put a couple supports where it's really needed to the build plate and it doesn't scar anything on the sides. I can just get the overhang itself, which is kind of nice. But I think on Cura, they have something called tree supports. Yeah. So those have been two two big changes in the last year have been tree supports and lightning infill, uh, which lightning infill is kind of tree supports for the inside of your model. So if you're printing something large and hollow, if it's not a structural part and you don't want it, you don't need it super strong. You can just use lightning infill, which will basically just support the top of it um, with a tree like support on the inside of the model. So it saves a lot of time and filament and supports yeah. fill things really well. Yeah, I've seen that, and it, it's really weird the way it inputs the the infill into the model. It's mm -hmm. kind of crazy. I've never tried yeah. it. I yeah. saw it. 
but works I great. Tried. I've had good results with it. Have you, I know it's on Prusa Slicer now. Have you have you tried that at all, Nathan? Um, I don't think I've tried it. Okay, but I know they so, have. So, so I'm kind of curious when you guys are tuning your profiles. What are kind of your main um, parameters that you mess with to improve print quality? JJ, for me, it's speed. That's that's the main one I change. I was thinking the other day how I don't have, I have a, a profile that works that I can always fall back to, uh, but for pretty much every model I import, I will adjust settings for it, for either upping the speed if it's got a, if it's a bunch of straight lines in a model and not a bunch of details, then I'll bump up the speeds. If it's a bunch of small details, I'll bump down the speeds, and then walls. Or another one I always change depending on how structural or functional I need the part to be versus just a decorative thing. You can get by with just two walls. Um, so those are two that I always change. Well, we'll kick that right back to you, Nathan. What, what, what's the first thing you look at when you're you know tuning? So the main thing that I would say most people have issues with when it comes to print quality is their attraction settings. So if your attraction settings aren't set correctly, you'll get a lot of stringing, and um, that can that's probably one of the most noticeable artifacts on a 3D print that can make it look bad. So um, I'll usually tune that in. Usually if you've got stringing, you just up the retraction a little bit. And my rule of thumb is for a direct drive extruder, I have my retractions between 0.8 and 2 millimeters. And for a Bowden setup, I'll have my retractions between two millimeters and six millimeters. And I'll just move that up or down depending on what the printer needs. That's and you don't want to have, oh, sorry. I say that's quite a bit of difference. Yeah. And uh, one small benefit of having as low of retractions as possible is you actually increase your print speeds and mm -hmm. um, it'll just make things look a little bit cleaner up to a point. Um, so when the printer is performing the retraction move, the print head is stationary. So any kind of, if you're doing a long retraction, that's just an opportunity for it to over melt something or to have a little bit more filament drizzle out. So, um, you want your retractions to be as short as possible, but still avoid like the big stringing issues. Okay. That makes sense. You know, JJ, you're talking about speed and speed to me is very confusing. There yeah. is 30 different speed settings. And just on the standard settings, it can go anywhere from 150 millimeters a second to 20 millimeters a second. And you hear these numbers, well, I'm printing at you know, 250 millimeters per second. But then you dig deeper into, well, that's on the infill. That's not, you know what I mean? And there's all kinds of crazy stuff. It, it, it doesn't seem to be like one thing you can set and say, I want to do this speed. Yeah, I feel like for me, I mean, I do a lot of tuning of all the different settings depending on the model, largely dependent on what I'm printing. Of If it's got a large base touching the build plate, then I can print it qu pretty quickly. The part touching the build plate, I'll do 50 millimeters a second. If it's got a bunch of uh, little, not much surface area touching the build plate, I'll bump that down to like 20 millimeters per second to get really good bed adhesion. And then if the, if the walls are a bunch of big straight flat surfaces, 
and you can bump up that outer wall speed a bunch. But then if it's got a bunch of sh- sharp turns, then I would bump that back down again. Uh, again, but there's just it, it. It just seems like there's just so many differences. Is there one yeah. just I want this speed? Is there anything like that, or you have to adjust each individual function separately and tune it to get exactly what you want? There's always slower. Like you can always just put that one print speed and it kind of fills in all the settings from it to begin with. Um, That's not true, right? If someone say it's got the master speed, you can set Mm -hmm. it at 100 millimeters a second and it will automatically adjust the other speeds. Yeah. If you say I print at 100 millimeters per second, it'll do infill at 100 and then, well, I can do it right here. Because uh, I know it doesn't work that way on Prusa slicers. Yeah, so if I you set have to input the, speeds. the master print speed at 100, then the infill will be 100, then the wall speed will be 50, the top and bottom will be a little slower than that, travel speed will be a percentage higher than that. So it will balance it out. Yeah. But I guess that's something that really just comes with a lot of experience. Sure. Of tuning. How, Nathan, how do you set your speeds? I mean, there's a bunch of different things that I know in, in Cure, or excuse me, in Prusa Slicers, maybe about 10 different settings on one yeah. of the pages. So the way that I set speeds is a little bit different. I usually just leave the speeds alone and I increase the extrusion thickness and layer height. So in a lot of my videos, I am using 0.6 or 0.8 or over one millimeter size nozzles. So the extrusion that I'm laying down is really thick. And the way that I limit speed is by setting the maximum volumetric flow rate. And it'll automatically slow the printer down um, to achieve that flow rate. And so usually I'm printing at about 20 millimeters a second or, or more or less, just moving the print head really slow and putting a lot of plastic down. Yeah, one one thing I do, I don't know if it really increases the speed, but it decreases the print time, is I do use six millimeter nozzles on everything. I, I have very few four millimeter or 0.4 millimeter nozzles anymore. And on some models, depending on what it is, I use a higher extrusion width. I you know, plug in there 0.85 for the extrusion width. And it just gives you a, a thicker wall. And it prints much faster that way. I mean, it decreases the print time, I think is the correct way to say it. It doesn't speed it up. One nice thing about Clipper is that you can just change your your speed. So if you're at 100%, there's a little slider you can put in there. I I think you can do that in Marlin too on some of the printers, where you can just increase the speed to, let's say, 200%. So if you had a base speed of, let's say, 50 millimeters per second, you put it to 200, it's going to be 100. And you can play around with that. And I think it automatically adjusts all the other things that go in there. Is that correct? Yeah. A lot of Marlin, Marlin, if you have a little screen on there, it's probably in the settings, depending on the printer. There'll yeah, be a setting slider you can change while it's, it's printing. It's something they have to include in the, the, the build of Marlin. Yeah, yeah. Do, do, do a lot of manufacturers do that? I haven't really looked. Yeah, most of them. I'm thinking several that I've tested recently have that. Have you, have you ever tried that, Nathan? Yeah, that's usually how I increase speed. So what I'll do is I'll go into my Prusa slicer 
And it's actually in the filament settings where you set the maximum volumetric flow rate allowed for that filament. Mm. And usually I'll set that to 15 millim- cubic millimeters per second or 25 cub- cubic millimeters per second. 25? Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then uh, I'll scale that up if I want to print faster. But yeah. Well, is that, is that where you're using the 8-inch volcano nozzle with the 1.8 millimeter nozzle? And yeah, something like that. Those big, huge, <laughs> looks like rope. Yeah. Um, so usually I'll fine tune the speed in Marlin when I'm actually running the print because you never know what what it's going to look like. Um, and if I wanted to mass produce a certain model, then I'd change it in the slicer so that I can just load up the G code and have it know what to do automatically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one thing I really like about your, your videos, Nathan, is you do a lot of really unconventional things. And it's, it's nice to see that because everything just seems in the 3D printing community, everything fits into little boxes. And a lot of what you're doing there doesn't fit into boxes. So I really appreciate that. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and I think 0.4 millimeter nozzles are kind of like the best to use for just general purpose printing and having high quality and good detail mm-hmm. and good part cooling. But um, I just, I kind of have this concept in mind of being able to 3D print something use utilitarian, like a cup, in like a couple minutes. And that, I'm not sure if it's able to be done on a 0.4 millimeter nozzle, at least in a, in a way that's effective and cheap and easy to implement. Because yeah. you can get these really fast printers like the Bamboo Labs and Vorons, and they're zipping around and printing things really fast. But I wonder, like, if you had a machine and you just had it there printing... How long does it take before something eventually breaks down? Sure. I, I know when I when I said six millimeter or point six millimeter nozzle before, I, I I'm usually putting it at a three millimeter point three layer width. But I quite often when I want detail, I do put it down to a point two layer layer height. Layer height, yeah. Layer height. And it does print much slower. And it does a really good job. I just, you know. It just seems quicker for me anyways. Um, you know, and I, I always hear in the video, you know, I'm printing this, I'm printing that, and I need to tune my slicer to do this. What I hear that all the time in videos, but I really don't know what that means. What are you doing when you're looking at something? Okay, I need to change this. What, what's the, the, the genesis of that when they say, I need to change this? Well, nobody ever explains what they're changing. JJ? Yeah. So for when I get a, a new printer and their Cura profile is subpar, we'll say. Um, luckily, Cura has some built-in extensions, uh, and one of them is parts for calibration. And so I always run through a retraction tower first to tune out to find the correct retraction settings. So that's huge on stringing and little blobs you get on your printer. Uh, and then next tuning tower would be a temperature tower because little hot end differences can change what the optimal temperature can be for a different printer. Um, and then beyond that, I would tune speeds uh, with the stock settings that a profile is going to give you. They're going to give you the minimum that gets good results, but it doesn't mean you can't go faster than that. So then I would start bumping up speeds to see sort of the limits of the printer 
um, if they're telling you to print at 20 millimeters a second, doesn't mean you're not going to get the same results at 50 millimeters a second sure. and half your print speed or, you know, half the time it's going to take to print things. So um, that, that's a plugin for Cura? Yes. Yeah. So then it's a little tab up top. Okay. You put in, you can load, there's sort of a preset bunch of tests you can load in and then change your, uh, modified G code. Is, is there it. plugins for Prusa like that, Nathan, that you know of? I I'm not aware of any, but, yeah. um, I'm kind of curious about, uh, you're, you're talking about running these models for calibration. Are those like, so those models are just saved in Cura and you can just send them to your printer. You, yes. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of, a like on the top, of it, like file edit, there's one for extensions and you pull in a, a little, you know, basic temperature tower, and then you can modify your G code. There's a plugin to modify G code and you tell it every 20 lines up your temperature, start at this temperature and up it by 10 degrees, every 20 layers or something like that. All right. In super slicer, they have a, 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 drop down and they call it calibration and okay. there's like seven or eight things that it goes through. There's a temperature tower and stringing tests and overhang tests and stuff like that. And you just have to go through each one. And what I've found anyways, is I, I have calibrated profiles for different types of filament, even the manufacturer filament. So mm -hmm. if I'm using, you know, I use a lot of overture PLA mm -hmm. Because it's, I can get it on Amazon. It's cheap, and I can yeah. get it the next day if I want it. And it seems to perform well for me. Anyways, I can just, I have that profile set for it, and it usually does a, a good job because I went through that calibration process. One thing that I kind of find frustrating in Prusa Slicer is when I make a new print profile and I save it, I can't open up that same profile on a different printer. Yep. Yeah. Is that, does that happen in Cura too? Same thing over here. Yeah. Of it's like, it's locked down to that printer. Yeah. Isn't there any way to go in and, cause I've run into that too. And I just, you know, I just say hell with it. I just don't want to mess around with it. But is there a way to, to, to say, I want this printer to be able to have access to this profile? I think you can, cause you can export profile and then probably import it to another one. I've never really needed that setting. Yeah. Um, I think this is an issue for people with a lot of printers like us. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. If you have just one printer, you're just going to be messing with one thing. But that's not the case, is it, guys? <laughs> it's half the fun is messing around with all this stuff. Just ask Nathan. He likes to break his printers and fix them. Yeah. Um, so I, I didn't talk about my tuning procedure. So basically yeah. what... Yeah. What I'll do is I'll just kind of address issues as they come up. Um, usually the most common issues that I see are with retraction or first layer adhesion or just slow printing. So just increasing print speeds and uh, making sure retractions don't look bad and uh, first layer adhesion. So the main, the main thing that I deal with, with if my prints aren't sticking to the bed correctly is I'll just increase the first layer thickness to about double whatever the rest of the layers are because 
the thicker your first layer is, the less inconsistencies in the first layer matter. So um, on some of my printers, I, I usually will set it to 0.4 millimeters thick, regardless of what the rest of the layers are. And that way mm -hmm. you're just putting down a bunch and it's just creating its own flat layer on the first layer. I notice a lot of the slicers also decrease the speed on the first layer. You know, sometimes down to like mm -hmm. 20 millimeters a second. Do you, do you keep the speed slow on that, Nathan? Yeah, that's another good thing to do. Just because um, on the, the when you're printing the next layers, you're laying the plastic down on more plastic, so it tends to stick to itself pretty well. But when you're laying it down onto a glass or PEI um, print surface, that's when you can have issues with it not sticking. So you just want to give it the best opportunity that it can to lay everything down correctly. Also, you're dealing with viscous forces, and the faster you move, the more likely you are to rip and drag the plastic that you're laying down along with you. And if you're moving really slow, then it'll just kind of slide along more easily, and uh, it won't pull up. Like, a lot of the times when you're printing a sharp corner on the first layer, it'll, like, lift off that corner. So mm -hmm. by decreasing the print speeds, you just kind of letting it slowly just kind of seep in and stick to the, the first layer. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good idea. What, what, you know, the, um, that JJ was talking about printing, like testing for temperature and stuff like that. How, how would you do that? Cause I know on those, some of those models, they come with G code already that increases the temperature per layer. Is there a way you can dial that in on, on Prusa Slicer without, you know, whatever you're doing? I don't know. Yeah, so I usually don't change the temperature that much. I'll go with whatever the default setting is. And if it's if I'm seeing issues with excessive stringing or if the bridging, like when it performs bridging or overhangs, the filament is drooping down too much, then I'll decrease the temperature slightly. Or if I'm having issues where... I'm trying to print at a certain speed and then the extruder starts skipping because it can't push the filament through fast enough. Then I'll increase the temperature a little bit to compensate for that. And it varies depending on the filament that you're using and the speed that you're printing. So there's a lot of variables that go into setting the right temperature. So oftentimes I will um, make those adjustments on the printer, like through the little touchscreen interface mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, because that's something that you need to tune in for the specifics of what you're doing. Um, but if you can come up with a good print profile for like that kind of, uh, whatever print that you're running and whatever material that you're using, then that's going to be a, the best way to do it. I'm just changing things too often. And I, I don't, uh, <laughs> I find that the default setting works good enough. And if I need to change it, I'll change it on the, the print when it's running. Okay. So you... Yeah. To make a lot of the changes, what you're saying is you, you use a default baseline and then you go to the printer itself and, and change the things, correct? Yep, yep. And then if I'm going to print that again, then I'll import those changes back into the slicer and slice it again. Okay. Um, is, there a way, is there a way in Marlin to change the, the what you say, the volumetric flow of the, of the printer? Um, so what I'll do is... I'll, I'll set the volumetric flow rate in Prusa Slicer and then slice it. And then I know that the whole model is running at that volumetric flow rate. Mm -hmm. And then if I want to increase it, like let's say I want to double it, 
then I'll just set the speed to two times and that'll double the volumetric flow rate. And, and uh, one of the most useful things for me is to, um, after I've sliced the model and I'm in the visualization screen where you see like every layer, I'll, I'll change the um, visualization mode to show volumetric flow rate. So I know that like it's actually achieving those 15 cubic millimeters per second mm -hmm. or whatever I'm going for. Because oftentimes if your layers aren't wide enough and you're, or thick enough and your print speeds aren't fast enough, then you're not actually going to reach whatever volumetric flow rate that, that um, your maximum that you want to go for. So visualizing that really lets you see where your printer is spending the most time. And if there's ways that you can modify your settings to get it to speed up in those areas, then that's always going to give you the best insight of how to increase your print speeds. Yeah, cool. When it comes to uh, back to print temperatures, I feel like I was always at 200 Celsius was for filaments. Um, and then I recently, as I've started trying to print faster and faster, I've noticed if you stay at the same temperature and print faster, you'll get a more matte finish on your prints. Um, and so you need to bump up the speeds a little bit to keep that the shiny PLA finish look that you normally get out of prints um, to bump so it up to 205 or 210 Celsius. The, the, the temperature dictates the finish or the, the yes. Yeah. If you print a, a little warmer, you'll get a more shiny finish and a little cooler it'll leave a sort of matte finish on prints. Yeah. I'm always printing at about 210. Okay. Yeah. And I've never had much of it, give, give or take five degrees. Yeah. I've noticed that matte and glossy transition as well. And I think one of the things that's kind of odd is um, when you print faster with the nozzle at the same temperature, you're actually extruding the plastic at a lower temperature often. Yeah, because like uh, it does. It. Yeah, it doesn't have enough time to get all the way up to temperature by the time it's extruded out the other end. Mm. Makes sense. Makes yeah. Sense. What other What other tips can you can you give us, Nathan, on tuning your your slicer profile? There's one other. Oh, if I okay. can jump in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was just looking through Cura, and the one setting that I think um, companies always get wrong is they print with a raft still even though they've got a heated bed. Um, it's just one of those Weird things you don't need, but they're always going to add it in their Cura profile. Um, just be extra careful. Right. It's a nice little safety net for people that aren't like super good at printing yet. Uh -huh. um, one nice thing about a raft is the way that it lays the first layer down, it kind of like squishes it out to the sides and it, like leaves gaps in between each line. And what that's doing is it's allowing, it, it'll compensate for if your bed level isn't perfect. Mm -hmm. So if you're not super good at bed leveling, then having that raft will kind of help out. And maybe they're putting that in there as like a safety buffer for beginners. Yes, yeah. yeah. And I do get, for beginners, it's a good thing to start with. But it's probably the first thing I would recommend people move away from if they can. Yeah. What's the difference between, a, a, I'm, I'm thinking, what they call it, a brim? Where it's yeah. extra material outside the, 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 the first layer. So a raft is a big, almost Blob. it prints a sheet of plastic for your print to be stuck to on top. A brim is kind of a rim 
around your print to stick to the build plate. And then a skirt is the one I, I use a skirt all the time, which prints kind of a circle around your prints by like five millimeters away from your print to really prime the nozzle, get it up and flowing and ready to go. Is that what it's for? I always wondered what that, what purpose that serves. Yeah. So instead of doing a, or instead of doing a priming line on the side of your printer and then going in and doing the print, it primes it right next to your model. Okay. Yeah. I found that, uh, the skirt layer will often, uh, clean up the nozzle pretty well. So if there's any like plastic Mm. stuck to it, just running, it's doing a full 360. So, um, any particular direction where the the plastic is stuck on, it'll be able to like lift it off. I also really like it for live bed leveling of sort of watching the skirt go down. And if it's too high or low in any part, I can kind of adjust the bed wheels while it's doing the skirt. Um, yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to go back to Nathan and ask that same question. What out of what we've covered, what what else is there that you think is important to to tuning the profile, so to speak? Um, so one thing that I will always do, and Jay, JJ was saying that he does this as well, is printing the overhang towers. So that really evaluates how good your print profile is going to be able to do overhangs. And if you can get up to 80 degrees or 70 degrees overhangs, then most of your prints you can do without using any support at all, which is always going to be nice. Um, and the other thing is I'd recommend staying away from third-party... Well, I, I guess I'd recommend staying away from the manufacturer-provided slicer if it's not any good. So <laughs> some 3D printer companies are like, oh, I want to build my own slicer so that it has our brand name on it. But usually those aren't very good. There are some exceptions like Bamboo Labs and Prusa and um, I, I guess uh, Cura is made by... Um, Ultimaker. Ultimaker. So if you're getting one of those companies that have a really good slicer, then there's no need to to shy away from it. But I've found some companies have really basic slicers that don't give you the, the right functionality, and they're not documented as well as the slicers that we're using. And usually they're Cura 3.0, rebadged with their logos on it. <laughs> and so it's you're getting an old Cura with less features on it. Yeah, I, I just got that Ender 5S1. Is that right? Ender 5S1. And it, it came with its own version of Cura. I think it was like 4.8. Yeah. Which I thought was pretty advanced for the branded slicers. <laughs> what, what else uh, that you think is important that we haven't covered, JJ? Or do we get everything, you think? I think that there's probably covers... more stuff. There's um, probably more stuff. <laughs> yeah, there's always more. Yeah. Um, the one's uh, maximum resolution is the other thing that I change in new slicers or new profiles um, of its house fine of a detail your printer will cover. Um, and so I usually bump, they usually have it really low and I bump it up to like 0.5 millimeters. So it will kind of smooth out tiny details in models. Okay. Um, and right. can give you smoother looking prints. So Nathan, you touched on before the the overhang test, and you said if it prints, you know, 
80 degrees without supports and it looks good, you're okay. So let's say it, it doesn't, it starts crapping out at 75 degrees or 70 degrees, whatever that says on the thing. How do you fix that? Is it a temperature issue? Is it a cooling issue? Usually I'll fix it by putting better part cooling on the printer. Okay. Or printing thinner layers or using a smaller nozzle. So that's one of the big advantages of using a 0.4 millimeter nozzle is it's really easy to cool the filament down because it's such a small stream of plastic versus if you're printing with like a one millimeter nozzle, it's almost impossible to cool that down by the time you finish your bridging operation. So you're always going to get that drooping with bridges and um, your overhangs aren't going to look perfect. Talking about cooling, uh, I was testing a printer last week that has too much cooling. Um, And I guess it's because it's winter here in the basement. It's nice and cold. And so if I have it at 100% cooling fan, the layers won't stick together at all. It'll just be layers of spaghetti sitting on the printer because they're not, they're cooling it faster than it can stick to itself. Um, So like 50% actually gives me good looking prints, but 100% won't print successfully. Yeah, I, I, I always hear that, you know, there's not enough cooling and the fan speed isn't high enough or whatever it is. I've never heard anybody say that there's too much part cooling. Yeah, I've never seen it either. And I was very surprised. <laughs> and it took me a while to figure it out because it's so often the opposite case. And that's never really something I thought was a reality. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever have you ever seen that happen, Nathan? Where there's too much part cooling? Um, not personally. I think, uh, I would probably try turning the print temperature up and see if that would help. But Mm -hmm. I mean, I I don't know what printer you're talking about, JJ. What are you working on over there? That's the WeDo X ME40. Um, it also has a hardened steel nozzle. And so I'm thinking I might put a brass nozzle on there just to level the playing field of testing to see what, if that might be causing the issue of it's not properly melting the filament fast enough and bumping up speeds as you know, higher and higher. Yeah. All right, guys, do you have, do you have anything else you want to talk about or? Yeah. Um, so I, I kind of want to see what you guys think about the future of slicers. So um, I know there's like these conical slicers and five, five D printers that you know have all these advanced motions that the most advanced seedings that the most advanced cnc machines nowadays have so that's going to require another leap in um in slicers to be able to use those new printers and also i'm kind of curious if um what you think about automating more of the uh the slicer process so i kind of want to know if 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 in the near future we'll have a slicer where we just send the model off to the printer and it slices itself and figures out how to make that stuff. Cause a lot of the things that I do on my slicer are pretty basic. Um, and usually I'll just import the model, hit slice and then hit print. So if there's a way to just combine that into just one step of just sending the model to the printer, um, maybe clippers working on that. I'm not sure. I feel like that would take um, input and support from the companies that are pumping out these cheap Ender 3 clones. And usually they can't even put out a good Cura profile. So the, that might take a while for it to trickle down all the way to all the printers. Um, 
But I do think non-planar slicing is really cool. I just I printed out um, Stefan at CNC Kitchen. He put out a G code file for this non-planar Christmas tree model, um, and it was right. so cool to watch it move up and down as it's printing a layer, not in flat layers. Um, it was really awesome. Yeah, I saw I saw that video too. I thought it was pretty darn interesting. But I really like Nathan's idea where you just plug them on and say this, you know, you, you send the, the printer an STL and it knows what profile you want. Now it's all preset and it just slices it and then you just hit print. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I imagine it would be um, probably the most basic implementation you could do is send it to the printer and then it'll say, I know how to slice this. I'll just start it or I need a, a little help with this. But I, I think... There's a lot of vetted models that people know, like if you put it in this orientation and print it without supports, it'll be fine. So, um, yeah, it's just an extra step that could be reduced potentially in the future. I know, some, I know sometimes you can get models in there in the, the 3MF format, which already you just put in a slicer and it just automatically generates the, the settings and stuff like that. Not the G code, but it has all the settings pre-done for you. And it changes the mm-hmm. settings of your slicer. Is that correct? I haven't used 3MFs personally, but I know that you can save a project in Prusa Slicer as a 3MF, and that saves mm-hmm. all your settings. Okay. Um, I think, I mean, we're still at a state where when you go to Thingiverse or Colts to download your models, you don't even know if the website's going to load up properly. <laughs> I don't know why that is. It's like I go there and it it's like, loading for a whole minute and then it's like oh sorry we got too much traffic right now yeah. so, have you guys ever used uh yegi why no I haven't, I haven't i'll look into it though yeah it's like a, a website you, you punch in what model you're looking for and it actually does a broad search over oh, all yeah. the model sites and it gives you a direct link to that page and of course you click on something mm. from thingiverse and just nothing happens I use uh, Thangs for my, I feel like that is my search engine for models because it'll pull up results from Thingiverse, Printables, all the different places, and they have some of their own. So I use that one as my search engine. I I looked at it once when it first came out and it didn't have that feature. Yeah. It's just what people have uploaded to that particular Mm -hmm. company. So. Thanks, guys. And and remember, we really need some questions and participation from you, the listeners. So make sure you go to perfectfirstlayer.com and go to the submit page and ask us. Nathan, why don't you tell everyone where you can be found at? I'm mostly on YouTube, so just look up Nathan Builds Robots on YouTube and you'll find me. All right. What about you, JJ? And I am also just on YouTube. Find me at JJ Shankles. That's how you'll find me. All right. And I can be found at Guy's Shop on YouTube, also Guy's Wood Shop. So thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you guys on the next show. Bye.